Um, this is You Can Tell Me Anything, the podcast where comedians confess something they've never told anyone before. And this is a special episode because we're on the road. Um, we're recording from Canal Street Market in New York City. So if you hear some uh, ambient noises, that is that is practical sound effects. That's how cool this show is, you guys. Um, and real quick, I just want to say a uh, uh, couple quick announcements. Uh, my short film's going to be in San Francisco very soon. I can't announce exactly the details yet, but just follow it. At I think she likes you film. And you know the drill. You can see me do comedy. I'm going to be in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Bloomington, Indiana at the end of May. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest. I'm so excited he's here because we used to work together at Crack. He was my boss, and now he's a writer for John Oliver's show. It's Daniel O'Brien. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for um, the reason that we're in New York is because I, de- I demanded it. You I'm, did. I'm, <laughs> I'm in touch with the, with, the, with the real shit, you know, none of that soft L.A. stuff. I want yeah, this wow, recorded this is a on new, the streets. A new side of you <laughs> I have not seen. How do you like New York? I haven't really caught up with you since you moved. Yeah, I like it a whole lot more than I thought I was going to because, um, I mean, obviously I miss everyone in Los Angeles and I miss the, the weather, but I've been sort of moving more towards wanting to live in like green areas and, uh-huh. and like very, very outdoorsy, outdoorsy, that kind of thing. Like I was idly, before I got this job, just thinking, where do I want to move to next? Where do I think I'm going to be happy? And it was either closer to the beach or deeper into the woods and... Um, Listeners who don't know, New York has both those things: the beach and a lot of woods. No, uh. yeah, yeah. Listeners, if you don't know, a uh, lot of, lot of city stuff here. A lot of, lot of buildings, yeah. and I didn't think I was going to like that, but, uh, but you know, it's a cool looking city. Like I, mm-hmm. on a very superficial, basic level, I'm genuinely surprised at how much I like looking at buildings, and. I, and <laughs> That's good because they're everywhere. I I actually remember walking, like I went to school here and I remember just walking home from um, class uh, and looking up at the buildings and just being in awe, thinking like how many people are stacked on top of each other. Because when you look at a skyscraper, you're like, there's people on every floor and then there's people on top of people on top of people. And that just, that whole idea just really fascinated me. Just efficiently stacked people on top of each other straight into the sky. It's so cool. I'll show you uh, pictures of my building when we're done with this because it's a very cool looking building. And like, uh, I I like reading about the architecture because architecture is a thing that I know nothing about. And Uh I I think in my brain it was uh, purely a a functional job with, 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 (laughs) with like, oh, this is the most efficient thing to do. But this, apparently the guy who did my building is like this hotshot architect. And just hearing his words to describe what he's going for is like, I wanted to be this sort of hedonistic pragmatism. I was like, cool. (laughs) You you put a lot of thought into this thing. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds cool. I don't either. It sounds cool, right? Just thinking about any other industry, I like to map it to comedy just because I think it's so funny to imagine like what's the open mic version of an architect like <laughs> just like I really want to be an architect and then but it's so different because you put in so much more time into something and then let's say your building launches or whatever they call it <laughs> and people don't like it yeah <laughs> how much does that suck it's, it's like, gotta be real bad I thought, I thought this building was gonna be a hit <laughs> and it wasn't uh, I like to start every podcast just to get to know the guests with a good mm-hmm. confession it's just to start on a positive note is there something good you'd like to confess Oh, yeah. uh, very basic, very broadly. Um, donating is is fun and makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. I, I, of course, don't want to make anyone who's listening feel bad if they're not in a place right now where they can. But I'm 
lucky enough that I can uh, contribute to people's Patreons, and uh, I can just... Twitter is great for... You can just see someone who's like, hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. Can anyone help me? And you and you just give money to them. It just... Yeah. It's, it's super boring and basic, but it just... It, makes you feel good and it does it is a flex to just be able to do that like uh one of my favorite writers shay serrano everyone should follow him on twitter uh-huh. he uh writes for the ringer and he also does a podcast and does books and he's also relentlessly positive on twitter and just like very in touch with his his fans and he'll have fans out there that are like hey i'd really like to buy your book but i can't and he's like all right i'll buy it for you and he just like bought them his book oh, and so that nice. helps him or he'll like there is Every once in a while, he'll just go on a tear where he is just paying people's bills online. <laughs> so we're just like, hey, big fan of yours. I can't pay my electricity bill this week. He's like, all right, I got you. What's your Venmo? And he's Aww. just giving this money. And like, this is cool. That's I'm going to really do nice. stuff like that. Yeah. And helping strangers on the internet. And also, like, if you can, trying to uh, be more meaningful with the kind of purchases that you make. Yeah. Like the shoes that I have now, you should look at them. They're very cool. Ooh, turtles. Yeah, sea turtles. Very cool. And they're from a company called Elephant City, uh, and a portion of everything you spend on them goes to help protect and preserve elephants. Oh, that's nice. And just like, if you... Not turtles? No, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Elephants are also fine. Um, it just... And finding that made me sort of be more conscious of most of the things that I spend my money on now. Like, yeah. like I, I like watches. I can get a watch or I can find a company where a portion of this will go towards cystic fibrosis re- research, mm. uh, which is a company called Juul. Everyone should check that out. Not the, not to be confused with Juul, the vape company. No, no. Different. <laughs> also spelled ridiculously. I think uh-huh. it's like, like J-W-L-W. Mm. Like there's no E in it. Um, and yeah, like anything that you you want, you have a little bit of money that you, you want to get, like a clothing thing or, or whatever, look around. There's probably a version of it that is good for something medical research good for the environment and uh a fun flex anytime i wear (laughs) these shoes or my my jewel watch i get to say thank you it is a nice product and here's why i'm better for buying it yeah it's it's a a, a that's like a positive it's like you can brag when you're doing something good that's yeah yeah um have you ever had some someone that you've like helped out on the internet like uh like followed up with them years later and I don't know how long you've been doing this, no. helping people on the internet, but curious if anyone's come back with a story like, oh, you helped me in, and this is the follow-up. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should. No, no. I mean, it, it'll, it'll happen over time. Um, I recently caught up with, uh, when I was in high school, I took a, like, my theater teacher brought in Eddie Brill, who's like a stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. to teach a class, and we just got coffee in the city. And I haven't, like, we're not friends. I haven't talked to him yeah. in years, but... Um, he happened to like something online of mine. And so I, I messaged him and be like, you taught my first stand-up class and I, I wrote my first joke in your class. And it wasn't like right away that I did comedy. Cause mm-hmm. I, I went away for years and then came back to it, but we got coffee and it was, it was cool to talk to him. Cause I was like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't even think I was planting a seed then. And he was like, yeah, so I, it's, I teach these workshops and then like, sometimes I don't hear from them for years. And then later, you know, someone's like, Oh, I'm a comedian now. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really cool. That's pretty chill. <laughs> I, should do that more. There, are, there are a lot of uh, teachers from high school that I, I, I think <laughs> about, um, and I would like to tell them, "Hey, this thing you did was really helpful for me, and I'm now in a successfully yeah. working television writing career." And uh, I didn't thank you for that, and I should have. These are things that, I'm, like, I'm realizing now that I should be doing that. I, uh, I bet I won't, 
But I won't go <laughs> home won't. and look up Mrs. Creighton, see what she's up to. No, and sometimes it is weird to keep it. Uh, there's a line. I don't know what it is. It's like those. Obviously, the teachers are people, and they continue to be people. But sometimes they are better in your memory for some reason. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Just like, yeah, it's it's not a bad thing to be friends with your teachers, but sometimes it does take away this like luster of yeah. your childhood. Uh, yeah, I don't know, and I'm also very obsessed with memories and and uh, and nostalgia. So that might be my own hang-ups. Yeah, that I have. <laughs> there was a there was a weird um, my sophomore year English teacher um, that all the boys just like decided we had a crush on. I don't know. It's <laughs> I'm I'm sure she was a nice lady, and uh-huh. uh, but mostly she was a a like one of the younger teachers, like a twenty-something woman. Yeah. So we were just like. She's the hot one, all right, everybody? Let's, let's decide <laughs> that. And so we would always, like, fake flirt with her because uh-huh. it was harmless because there was never any chance of anything happening. And uh, I had a band in high school, and I was always like, come see my band. You're going to love me if you see my band. Come, you're uh-huh. gonna, I'm going to see me rocking out. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm a, a teacher. You're a student. Uh-huh. And then after I graduated, she came to one of our shows, and I was so unhappy. I was like, no, <laughs> this was never supposed to be real. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um do you, uh, this is, this podcast is also about like sort of therapy and mm-hmm. just like getting stuff off your chest. Do you go to therapy right now? No, not right now. <laughs> but I feel like you <laughs> are very in touch with your feelings. Like, and yeah. cause you write a lot about from a personal place, at least in the past when I've known you, you do. So like, you, do you have, um, confidants or people you talk to when you're going through stuff? I do. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I also think everyone should go to therapy, should try therapy. Um, mm-hmm. this particular therapist combination wasn't the right one for me. Yeah. And I ghosted her, and it felt fucking great. <laughs> and uh, but this it was, was in New York. This is in LA. Or in LA. This, was, okay. this was right after the massive layoffs at the old place. Oh and I, yes. Uh, I went into therapy with the wrong idea because mm-hmm. I, I very much was like, I need to write for my career, and mm. I can't write now for some. It was like the, the a terrible case of writer's block that I, I I never experienced before, and every day was more stressed out about it because it's like, this sure. is the only thing I can do. And if I don't write, then I can't sell anything and I can't have food. And uh, that's not a that's not what you go into therapy doing. Like I went in there very much like I have one problem and I need you to fix it. And that's what it's going to be. And she she was just like, well, let's just talk. (laughs) And you're like, no, this is a waste of time. I'm paying you for every minute. So expensive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I relate to that because I mean, I think I'm still a little guilty of doing that because I'm trying I'm in the process of setting up to do EMDR. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you how do you know what EMDR is? Uh, electronic music doctors. <laughs> nope. It's sort of, that sounds close. Uh, it's honestly, I don't know. Exa- it, it's sort of new to me too, but it's this new, new-ish um, type of therapy where they use uh, left brain, right brain coordination. And the whole idea is to get, not get rid of, I, I think of it as the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind technology, but okay. it's not really. But the idea is to go back and um, go through your traumatic memories in a way that they're not traumatic or triggering anymore. And so I'm, in order to set up for this, though, because you can only pick one memory, they have to go through your whole life. And I keep being like, I already know which one I want. And she's like, no, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. We have to go through your entire childhood. You don't even realize mm-hmm. which one it might be. And I was like, Ugh. So it's been like <laughs> like weeks of doing this. And I'm like, I'm wasting so much money. Just right. let me do the thing. But, of course, she's the expert. <laughs> right. She's got a plan for this. I mean, it's all a racket. No, it's not, it's not, that's not how I feel. <laughs> I, this, uh, this therapist... Uh, also is uh, the therapist of a friend of ours uh-huh. and she loves her. She swears by her. And so I just like, I think therapy is one of those things that um, sort of like dating, like, it, like, mm-hmm. it, like shop around. It matters who you're, who you're talking to. And this one was just wrong for me. And I, I still get mad. 
thinking about her. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, at least just, she had an effect on you. I think the, the, the last class, whatever, session, the one where I was like, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ghost this person, uh-huh. was uh, it ended, because uh, I was not very like, normally I'm, I will go out of my way to, to make sure everyone around me is, is feeling good. And that's mm-hmm. uh, a thing that I like doing and comes naturally. It's also a tremendous source of anxiety. So I liked having a therapist because I was like, I can, I'm allowed to be mean to this person. Not mean or anything, but I'm allowed to say, yeah, I, like, I'm allowed to not care if she's not having a good time. I, you don't have like, to think about our feelings, right? I'm I'm paying her. But he, but here's the thing: you don't. I mean, because you're not a mean person. No, thank you. So I'm guessing you having that instinct is probably you overthink about other people's feelings in your relationships, and you also don't have to think about because if you live your life as a good person and caring about what you want, like, you're not gonna intentionally hurt other people. Yeah. That's a good point. Sorry, I just got scared. Oh, no, I also, there was, we're next in office. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. Um, do you do that, though? Like, do you often put other people's needs before yours to a point where you're like, oh, no, I sh- I'm now unhappy and I shouldn't I, have done that? Probably, I think, I, I think I do that too much. I mean, like, I, I, I far be it for me to be, to, to, I don't know, that just sounds like I'm boosting myself up about just, like, sometimes I'm too kind to everyone. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. You've, you, you've interacted with me. Does that seem like a thing? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think a lot of uh, comedians are like, and also especially people we worked with, because we're, we're like, I think at our heart, we want to be good people. But sometimes when you prioritize other people, it can almost end up being like, I, in my personal experience, I've done this in relationships where I've been like, okay, I need to make sure everyone else is happy, but then I'm not doing what I want. And then ultimately what people want is for you to be happy too. Right. And it, it, it makes it, uh, it can make it impossible to be, Around me, I know. I mean, I've, it's something that I've worked at for for years and years, but it's always a, a been a struggle in like romantic relationships where mm-hmm. I do the, the thing which is wrong, which is stay silent and prioritize the other person's feelings, and then five months later, I'm very resentful, and the partner's like, yeah. "Why?" I was like, "Because we always did this for you, and we always did that, and we always did this. I didn't ask you to do that. No, you didn't. Oh man! <laughs> but I did it anyway, and now I'm mad." That's my my fear now is when people aren't going to say what they want. But I this is something I've learned in therapy. My therapist was like, you have to just trust that the other person's an adult. And if they're not, they'll figure that out. Yeah. And that's so hard for me because sometimes I'm like, they're not. And mm-hmm. they, I know that they don't want this. But uh, I think the only way for them to learn is for them to realize they can't get what they want yeah. until they ask for it. So, yeah, it's def- definitely very tough. Um, but I've started recently in the last year, like, practicing that for myself, like, asking for what I want. It's mm-hmm. very scary at first because it's weird to be like, I want this. Even if it, it's not actually, like, even if it hurts you, but that's what I always feel like right. I'm implying. Like, even if you don't. Yeah. But really, it's like, and then I'll wait for you to tell me what you want. Right. And hopefully, we'll find something that works for both of us. That sounds healthy. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it is very hard. Um, uh. Yeah. So the reason I ghosted her is in our last session, I was I was doing the thing where that where I can be a little bit rude to this person. Like that's mm-hmm. the, what I got, one of the valuable things that I got out of a therapist was I could say like that was not helpful. <laughs> you you didn't that ain't it. You didn't do, you didn't do it. And this was a particularly not even contentious, but just like I probably wasn't as open as I could have been, and she was I don't think being helpful. Uh-huh. And then at the end of the session, she was just like. Man, it's tough to get a smile out of you. And I was like, Ugh. "What the fuck?" Rude. Like, this is another thing that I have to worry about now. We're out. We're out here talking about uh, anxieties, and now I have to think, "Oh boy, is my therapist having a good time? I better 
make her feel like she's doing a good job and smile more. And uh, instead, I ghosted her. Was your therapist Mystery, the pickup artist? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's no, that sounds like a bad... Yeah. That sounds like she had some sort of insecurity that she was projecting onto you. Yeah, and uh, she also... The friend of ours who, who loved her got exactly what she needed out of mm-hmm. sessions, which is she she liked to she also had anxiety and just and needed to hear everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Which is which is good. Like all of your opinions are valid. Yeah. Everything you think is correct. And <laughs> I didn't want that. I wanted someone who's gonna say, Ah, you're being a baby. Like grow up uh-huh. about this aspect. And I don't think this was the right pairing of patient and therapist. Yeah. But I tried to continue the uh, idea of therapy in this very clumsy way of just like I have someone that I can talk to about everything. I don't have one person that I look to as like my main mm-hmm. therapist confidant, but like my brother David. I'm gonna we can talk about the rest of the family and yeah. uh, my parents. I could talk about work David, and other yeah, David <laughs> and other anxieties. My sisters-in-law and uh, like different friends that I've had throughout the my my wonderful blessed life. Just uh-huh. making sure that you have someone. To, to go to to complain about every every aspect of your, your life, mm-hmm. even if there's not one grand person for that, it's still uh, find someone so you're never really dealing with anything completely alone. Yeah. And it's been helpful. I think that's really important. And it's it sounds like it's like, oh, obviously, but even to take a second and think to yourself, like, who is this person or who are these people for me? Because when you're like in a stable mindset, when you can think about that, it's great because then when you're unstable or going through something, you can fall back on like, oh, I, I made this list in my yeah, head. Yeah. But um, sometimes when you're like stressed out, you you fall into the spiral where you're like, there's nobody. So I think just taking a second and be like, who are these people that I trust in my life so that when you're like not thinking straight, uh, you have that list. That's yeah. really good. Actually, I remember one time you um, uh, texted me because I was like freaking out online. I don't mm-hmm. even remember this. I was on Twitter just like having one of my freak outs. And sometimes when <laughs> I'm having a freak out, I'll think, oh, here's a funny joke. Nobody can tell I'm having a breakdown. I'll just say this joke. But then you text me to be like, hey, uh, is everything okay? <laughs> and, and I was like, I didn't hear from you for a while. And I was like, oh, I know this is Daniel reaching out because he probably saw it and was like, oh, just, just in case, yeah. got to reach out. And I thought that was really nice. Yeah. And it you. did make me feel better. And I was like, you know what? People do notice. And I think uh, in my mind, I mean, I was fine. You know, it was kind of thing where I was like, I'm just going to have a little tantrum online and then I'll feel better about it. And yeah. nobody will know. But then I was like, people do know. It's, <laughs> it's tough when it's funny comedian friends where it's like, this could as easily be a funny joke or a cry for help. Uh-huh. And there's no way of knowing. And like sometimes if it is a funny joke and you reach out, it just feels silly and stupid. So, so there's there's always a, uh, a risk of that, but but it never I'm, really because I'm I think about the flip side. If it was just a funny joke, I would still have been like, oh, it's nice to hear from Daniel. That's good yeah. to know he's concerned. And then I would just been like, oh, well, yeah, silly me, yeah, I crossed the line or whatever. Yeah. So I feel like it's always good to uh, reach out. Yeah, yeah so there's no really like nice. there's no worst case scenario there of like I was doing a joke. Oh my god, yeah. you fucking Ugh. idiot! You don't understand <laughs> me, mom. Uh, well, that being said, is there anything you would like to tell me? Yes. <laughs> I hate this story, and I'm very sad and nervous to tell it, but it's going to be fine. Um, Caveats up front. Uh, I was in kindergarten, and I'm Mm going to just do the best of my ability to remember this. Um, Okay. This was a time that I uh, faked my dad's death to get out of a scrap. Okay. And so as much context as possible, 
kindergarten. I went to a different school than the ones that my brothers did because uh-huh. uh, both my parents were working and the Catholic school where I ended up going to kindergarten, Holy Family, they were open uh, full days. And the one that my brothers went to was only open half days. So uh-huh. already I felt like oh, I'm in a weird spot. I'm not, I'm not where, my, where my friends are, where my people uh-huh. are. This is just a uh, lonely kid in kindergarten. Are you the youngest? I'm the youngest of three, okay. yeah. And after school, while waiting for my mom to pick me up, we would go to the house of one of the kids. There was a family mm-hmm. of three kids, and their mom sort of, like, took in all of the Latsky kids like me, like people who uh-huh. were waiting for rides. So there was, like, seven to 12 kids in this house every day on any given day, <sighs> just, like, playing and waiting. And I was... In the backyard, doing the thing with the rings on a swing set, you know? Oh, yeah, monkey... Uh, sort of like monkey... monkey like, it's just like rings that you can hold and oh, swing. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And uh, to reach them, I had to take a milk crate. This is what we did. Put uh-huh. a milk crate down and stand on it, and then I can reach them. Because <laughs> I was small. And now you know <laughs> that detail. I don't understand. I'm so nervous about the story that I'm telling it poorly. Um, no, you're setting the scene very well. Mm-hmm. I can see the crate. And Great. The so I'm standing bars. on the crate, and mm-hmm. I'm happy. And there's a person on the swing next to me, uh-huh. and at one point it becomes clear that she is screaming because she keeps scraping her leg on the side of the crate. And I didn't... And then everyone was mad at me uh-huh. because, I, I, you know, I'm awful. Because <laughs> I put the crate there. I didn't have the emotional language at the time to be like, this. I'm not the villain here. There are immutable facts of reality. I needed to stand on the crate to get to the rings, and the crate is in the path of the swing. Yeah. So really, we should, we should blame reality for putting us in this situation, yeah. and we should talk about what are some solutions so this never happens again to people. I didn't have that. As a uh, kindergartner, you kindergarten, didn't say no. that? That's surprising, no. <laughs> I also didn't have, uh, I still rarely have the clarity of consciousness to say, I'm very sorry, this is completely my fault. I'm so sorry. How can I make this better? I didn't. I wasn't saying that at all. But it sounds like the playground was built poorly. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm not really at fault here, uh-huh. and I wasn't then. But everyone got mad at me, and okay. I was a sad child, and so I started crying, and uh-huh. I said, "The reason that I'm I've been so weird, and I'm and I'm and I'm bad is is because it's pretty close to the anniversary of my father's death, and and it's always a tough time for me." And As a kindergartner, mm-hmm. that's such an adult sentence to say. No, uh, I was a uh, weird little liar. Like it's <laughs> it's it's very clearly cobbled together from things I'd seen on television. Because uh-huh. at you know seven years old, six years old, that how much time could it could have? So there's a certain <laughs> amount of years that I had to build up a rapport with my dad, and then a sure. number of years that I can consciously be calling it like an anniversary. Like, yeah, and to have the wherewithal to yeah to uh, understand like the the idea of having trauma come with time, and just be like, yes, this time of year yeah. is when I uh, feel saddest uh, instead of just the like my dad's wind. dead and I'm sad. Like yeah. it was so complex of an yes. emotion. And uh, details I remember were, was that it was um, a hunting related accident. I think bear, but maybe deer. All made my, up. Yes. Okay. I mean, my dad was uh, he did hunt. Um, so uh-huh. there was like bits of, uh, like I was pulling from, from real life of things <laughs> that could be. Use what you know. Yeah. What was your relationship with your dad at the time? Just like Fine. standard kid very, dad? Yeah, very standard kid dad stuff. Uh-huh. I was still doing like little sports things at the time. So we'd play basketball and play catch. Uh-huh. 
He worked hard. He came home <laughs> and, 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 and was alive for all of it. Okay. And uh, the other detail I remember was that this, this is when the story falls apart, I think, uh-huh. is that my mom would take me to the spot where the blood was still there every year as like a... He was mauled like, by a bear. Yeah. As like a reminder, like this is, this is where he died, which is... Which, I don't know. Is that a thing people do? Seems like you're a great storyteller uh, as a kid. Like very vivid imagination. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I I must have just been consuming a lot of TV and and books and just like. There, that is a trope, like the idea of like blood being there in TV. Because I remember watching a soap opera, like Chinese soap opera, when I was a kid, and this little girl gets hit by a car, and then mm-hmm. the blood is on the car. But it's like usually that's not really how that happens. And he was driving around, and and someone looks at the blood and is like. You killed her. I'm like that would oh. never happen. <laughs> like That's ever. Good sleuthing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and uh, to be clear, this worked. I uh-huh. was like king for a day. Everyone was being very nice to me, and mm. uh, I was getting a- attention that felt positive. And it w- it was I-, I wasn't thinking ahead towards any kind of future consequences or what it meant that I was. Fictionally murdering my dad to get out of an emotional scrap, and just get like good attention from these kids, and just they treated me with softness, they treated me with kindness, and it's probably not that they were otherwise mean, but you know I just didn't didn't really feel like I fit in, which I I still that is a problem that has never gone away. It's only been softened because I'm more comfortable not fitting in uh-huh. places. Um, were adults uh, involved in this, or was all kids? All kids until one of the kids uh, told her mom the story, Sue, who mm. was like the, the den mother of this house. Okay. I was just basking in this positive attention in the backyard and everyone being nice to me. And then Sue was like, hey, Dan, can I talk to you for a second? And she pulled me aside and she was like, sometimes when it's your turn to bring snack, you bring the white cheddar popcorn. And every time you bring it, your mom says, this is his dad's favorite. He gets it all the time is there anything you'd like to say to me? And like, <laughs> nope, <laughs> I, I did not. I was, I, I was still basking in the positive attention, so I, I started crying again, and I pivoted. Uh-huh. And this time I said, the real reason I'm sad is because my two big brothers are, are mean to me all the time. And huh. that is also not true. We got along great, and we still get along <laughs> oh, great. Man. But I needed to... Find a third party yeah. to blame. But so you were no, sad. I was sad. That part was true. That part was sad. That part was true. Like the, so something the was truth eating is at like, you as a kid you couldn't quite explain. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, was, I, I didn't feel like I fit in with this group, mm-hmm. and it made me sad, and uh, I didn't want me to be the reason that I wasn't fitting in, so I had to, to mm-hmm. outsource to a third party. I'm weird because of my, my dad's dad. I'm weird because my brothers are mean to yeah. me. This is, this is just trying to shift the blame away. I mean, this is very, I feel like, not uncommon, but also just, I'm curious, like, when you saw, so the little girl was screaming, did it feel like you were like, oh, no, here's another thing people are going to be mad at me yes, about? Yeah. Was there ever a feeling of, like, if it had been someone else doing it, did you, like, in your mind as little Daniel, were you like, they would probably have forgiven like this other oh, kid, hundred percent. So yeah. it wasn't just about the thing; it was about the fact that you, yeah. all of a sudden, like with this imaginary hate from the other kids, was about to get hated even more. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's a. Uh, I guess I still kind of mostly have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but I mean, it's like, yeah, it just, there's a lot of anxiety there. It yeah. comes from a place of, uh, I don't know if it's innate, like some, I don't know where anxiety comes from, if you're born with it or if something early on made you feel like shaky or something. Feeling alone, always, always like, it's hard to, to be any clunkier than this, but feeling weird. I've yeah. always felt like a, a weird kid who didn't fit in. Uh, and I steered into that more as I got older and liked it more about yeah. myself. But it was certainly, uh, from as early as I can remember, an unshakable feeling that everyone else had f- figured it out, mm-hmm. and and I had not, and they knew that about me and could smell it on me. Uh, <laughs> and then ironically, is, as you got older, that was the thing that everyone want, wanted, like to be like, oh, he's got this special thing that's different. I mean, ultimately, we're all special, but you know what I right. mean? Like, that's what really has been able to set you apart is just you've, your brain is different in a great way. Yeah, so. I've used it to tremendous advantage at this yeah. point. But even, and like, I was always a, a, a happy kid. Even yeah. Like, I, I eventually had friends and still do, but still, and enjoyed my time, enjoyed the things that I was doing and, uh-huh. and made myself laugh, made my friends laugh. But all through high school, couldn't shake this feeling that like, hmm. the rest of the kids are, are happy. And I'm, I, I didn't think I was a depressed kid, but I just thought like, they have it figured out. They know mm-hmm. how to wake up and be happy and enjoy a day and in a high school. And I, I don't. I can find little parts of it that I get excited about and I can yeah. enjoy seeing my friends. But as far as like waking up in another day and being happy, I'm like, no, I don't. Other people have that and good for them. But I do not. That is like very, uh, I mean, that's very like mature as a kid to think that because mm-hmm. you're, there's like so many layers. Like you have this understanding of um, like this eph- ephemeral happiness. That you know you can achieve it if you try, but in your mind, like, what you want is not just the happy feeling. You want the stability of happiness. Yeah. Which, it doesn't exact No, it doesn't. The thing I, I wanted didn't, didn't, didn't exist, doesn't exist, uh, and was probably born out of some kind of form of uh, condescension, too. Because uh-huh. when I'm talking about the kids that I believe are happy in high school, there's certainly a part of 15-year-old Daniel that is like, alas, I cannot. I am burdened with knowledge. <laughs> I know so much of how the world works that I'm sad. Yeah, you felt Maybe if better. I was a little bit dumber, I'd be happy like that kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I have a joke where I say my sister and I are very different, and she's happy, and then I'm like, I'm the opposite. I'm smart. But, um, nice. That's good. But, <laughs> but no, she's very smart as well. But um, uh, yeah, so okay, well, I want to know how this mm-hmm. day ended up. So did you eventually get caught and have to face consequences, or did you feel guilty about this at all? I, uh, I didn't feel guilty for a very long time. I don't recall... Uh, I do recall the the kids finding out uh-huh. and being like, "What the fuck?" or whatever kindergartner said at the time. Just but like, it's you, you, like I got, Sue the mom made me t- confess to them and tell them that. Sure. Yeah, and I still got to hold on to that. I'm really upset because my brothers are mean to me, so please be nice to me, kind of thing. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, was just generally unhappy at that house for the rest of my time there. Yeah. Like, I never fit in with those kids. Did you ever tell your parents? Uh, I've never had a conversation with, with my dad about this, and I really don't want to. Uh-huh. But uh, Sue told my mom when she came to pick me up, and I was dreading that car ride. But mm. uh, my parents were really good when I did the very bad things. If my brothers and I got in trouble for, like, oh, we put a hole in the wall fighting, or, uh-huh. or we broke this thing. They would fucking holler. They would, they would <laughs> yell, you're in trouble. If you did something very bad, like lying about your father's death, uh-huh. uh, they met that with softness and, and kindness and, and grace, which, which always felt good. Because it wasn't, yeah. she's not going to yell at me 
and yeah. and say how bad that is. She she wants to know why did you do that? Yeah. What's going on? And you know, just me as a, as a, a kindergartner expecting anger and getting met with with softness and grace is, is just something I'm very thankful that my parents have in them, an instinct that I hope I will have when I have kids. I mean, that does sound very healthy because I've talked about this on the podcast before, but just the idea of like when kids act out, you don't like in your mind, you're like, I'm a bad kid. I did this bad thing, but really you're a child. So really what it is is you need something and you don't know what it is. And it should be the adult's um, job to figure out what you need and give you that thing and not to yell at you for the bad thing. Right. And, and my parents understood that and, and I'm grateful. Uh, I don't, I'm sure my mom told my dad, um, (laughs) It didn't change our dynamic or our relationship at all, uh, and that's that's a part of the story that gets more heartbreaking every year that goes by. Every time, every whenever I learn more about my dad, and I see ways that we're similar to each other, and I mm-hmm. learn more about like empathy and human kindness and uh, life, broadly speaking, uh, I I think about lying about my dad dying to get out of a, uh, an emotional scrap, and just how devastating that must have felt for my dad uh and and that's why i don't want to talk about this because it, like mm. i makes i, I just sad. yeah it makes me sad and i torture myself about it and, and like i can't i feel like i can't even face him with this because i think like he was a hard-working guy he worked yeah every day very hard came home ate dinner went to sleep but tra- tried to go for a run I was always like fixing stuff in the house and he just loved his family so much mm-hmm. and then this piece of shit <laughs> six-year-old made up a like mentally brutally killed him <laughs> with a bear with a bear <laughs> but okay well like to here's another side of that i i think maybe your dad did mean a lot to you as a kid and that's why you used him in mm-hmm. the story because you wanted to use someone who was actually important to you that you loved yeah so i understand the feeling of guilt but it, it's not i don't necessarily think your dad would think oh he hates me that's why he killed me in this imaginary story i think in a way it's like oh well like my son's learning about loss and guilt and all this stuff. And I'm important to him. Yeah. So that's why I was the person he chose. It's a nice story. spin on it. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, <laughs> that, I don't know. Cause I have like, uh, God, there's a weird, like uh, that rem- you talking about feeling guilty reminded me of the story that um, I just remember when I was a kid, I played monopoly with my, my dad and my sister over new year's one day. And I don't, I was very young, maybe like mm-hmm. six. And for no reason at all, I started being mean to my dad. Like I was just being mean like mm-hmm. just to test it i think like the way he had his cards laid out i was like you're not like lining them up right and i just started like yelling at him and to the point where i saw <laughs> it made him a little sad and then once i saw that it affected him i was like i felt bad but then that's when i also felt like i did something this weird like kid playing with control to see like how far you can push someone's emotions and i remember hating that feeling and mm-hmm. so then after that i was like well that's it for me being mean like i'm gonna be <laughs> nice from now on but it was the first moment i remember seeing my dad as this human being who like oh that's scary felt bad yeah. like felt bad that his daughter was like screaming at him right because you don't think you're capable of penetrating their feelings or anything like that mm-hmm. and making them feel bad or let down yeah, and, and like saying that almost makes me. I'm like, wow, I really like hung on to that because I, I, your the you talking about your guilt kind of feels similar in a sense. It's like I don't think objectively anything you did was really that wrong as a mm-hmm. child, as a child who didn't understand and was right. testing the limits of your world. But as an adult, Daniel still feels slightly guilty thinking about it, and that's interesting to me because it's like, well, there's something deep down where you're like hanging on to maybe the fe- like the fact that you have control over 
how people feel, mm-hmm. that, that makes you feel bad. Just like that you can affect someone so much that they can feel bad. Yeah. Right? I, I don't guess, know. Is yeah. that, am I getting at anything? I don't know. Cause that's how, to me is like, it's what's scary about getting into relationships and, and getting close to people is that not that they can hurt me, but that I can hurt them. Mm-hmm. And that to me makes me always makes me very fearful because I don't want to hurt people, but right. you know, it happens. Like you're talking about your therapist is the only person you're happy or not happy, but I'm allowed to comfortable to meet me too. <laughs> is there like a fear in like the people in your relationships now as an adult, like that you, how do you feel if someone says like you hurt my feelings, Daniel? Oh, very, very, very sad. Very, <laughs> very devastated. Um, it's, it's less of a fear and more of just, uh, uh, constant anxiety to make sure everyone's having a good time uh-huh. around me and uh, do you trust the people around you to tell you though if something is up or are you just like please don't tell me i don't want to know i just want you to feel happy and know that i'm doing my best I, I trust the people to tell me yeah and uh i think the 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 feeling that i get strongest is feeling like i not just hurt someone's feelings but let someone down like mm. that's the that's the the main fear if, if someone comes to me with a complaint about something i'm immediately just like there's another person I've let down uh, on uh, a list that grows larger every year and will only grow. Oh no! You yeah, let go of that. That's, that's the that's the internalization of not even someone directly saying what you did was shitty, yeah. but just someone in a situation with me who's unhappy in some way. Uh-huh. I will internalize as I've I've let this person down. Do you feel like you let yourself down a lot? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, as I say the things, I, I know the things. I think, yeah. I, I, I think about uh, all of the best advice written by smarter and better people. And I, I know that I've only gotten more comfortable and content in this world as I've mm-hmm. uh, learned self-care and self-love. And I have no problem telling people advice that I, that I, <laughs> I do have a problem internalizing. Just like, You'll be happier if you treat yourself the way you treat your friends. Yeah. And that's good advice that I that I don't necessarily always follow. <laughs> no, I mean, it's easier. I mean, I, I do this podcast and there's many things where I'm like, oh, I see you could do this. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, well, what am I doing? But uh, but that is a big thing that I think um, wh- like that has helped me break through is whenever I feel that sort of like that. It's like a guilt. It's not even a guilt. It's like a pang, you know, where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I would just wish things were different and um it usually now i can come back to like there's something about myself that i'm not like not actually addressing it's yeah. like me being upset at the peop- the things around me or me feeling like it usually comes back to control like wanting to control how someone feels mm-hmm. and it, uh, underneath that is me not being able to control how i feel about something right yeah that's 100 percent. which is <laughs> scary but then then once you realize that you're like oh i can control yeah. it and i can control it in that like i can feel it it's not that i can just make sure i'm never sad or whatever is that i can let myself be sad accept it and then be like and now i will do the things to get out of it yeah and that's really liberating but it yeah it is very scary to be like oh it's, it's just all in my hands yep. now it's tough it's it's t- every time i'm mad or upset uh, I don't like that it takes me a few hours of being mad and upset before having a conversation with myself. Mm-hmm. I just wander around angry and short <laughs> with people and still for no clear reason assume that it's the the world's fault and not <laughs> something like, like it takes me uh, uh, two hours to just to finally say, hey, Dan, what's uh, what's <laughs> going on? What are we <laughs> why you're not really 
angry with your coworkers. Well, sometimes You're, you sure. can you can be mad. That's fine. Yeah. You can be mad at other people too. It can be other people's faults. That's true. But <laughs> in this case it's not. <laughs> oh, okay. And it's just like take take a minute, figure uh-huh. out what you're what's what you're really mad at. What's what's the feeling that you you're having right now? Yeah. Okay, you can still be mad after that. You can go home mad if you want. Um, but just know that like you're not mad at your coworkers right now. You're mad because you don't feel valued in this particular area or mm-hmm. you're mad because I don't know pick a dumb thing that, that a person can be mad at a lot going on that we can be mad at um, yeah. your story kind of reminded me of I read this children's book when I was a kid called A Step from Heaven about the written by this like uh, Korean American author I think who immigrated as a child so it was kind of like self it was fictional but I think inspired by her life mm-hmm. and she I think her name was Anna I don't know if that's her real name but her pen name and in the story as a little girl she was feel, she didn't really speak English and she didn't really understand what was going on. So one day the teacher was like, what's wrong? And she said, my brother died. And she has a brother in it, but he oh didn't shit. die. Yeah. And so this I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> it might not be that uncommon what you did. But she um, then everyone in the class wrote her cards and made her made her little uh, like yarn animals. And mm-hmm. she went home with all this stuff. And then she was like, and I felt good. <laughs> and then she sort of felt guilty when her mom got a call, but her mom didn't understand English. So mm-hmm. then she got away with it. And I thought of that story when you told me yours. That's pretty cool. It's <laughs> but but in my mind, I'm like, that little girl was dealing with, she didn't know how to handle the transition and not speaking English and all the problems going on in her family. So that so she was sad. Yeah. But she couldn't just say that because she didn't know how to voice that. No. I, we, it's still rare for me to, to have the clarity and emotional uh, vocabulary to, to say I'm sad now when I'm sad. At, yeah. At, at, in, here in my 30s. I, I still will jump to it's the it's the rain that's bothering me. Mm-hmm. It's it's the temperature in this office that's bothering me. And not just like, no, nah, you're sad, you're a little grump, <laughs> little grumpy guy right now. <laughs> um uh do you are you like have you done anything like that? Are you like that in relationships? Do you ever sometimes like, ah, I'm cornered, I'm just gonna make up a thing or or did this sort of No Was this a turning I, point I, for you because it was it seems like a strong memory. Yeah. I mean I don't I can't say that this is the turning point uh that that really changed everything for me. I'm sure uh-huh. I still lied like a little kid for a while, uh-huh. but for reasons unrelated to this that we will not get into, I've uh, pretty strongly, uh, radically honest is what, what I was trying to like. Lie, lies are a real, uh, I guess trigger is the right word for me, yeah. that, that I'm, I'm very upset about. And uh-huh. so I just try to practice total honesty. The closest thing I will get to kindergarten Daniel in, in <laughs> A relationship is just not lying, which is like not talking about my feelings. Not, not, yeah, yeah. Bad communication. It's interesting hearing this from you because, um, obviously, like I know you as like a friend and a coworker mm-hmm. and, and just like a good person, but if uh, I've been in relationships with people who have lied, and my first instincts have been, this is a bad person who's trying to trick me. And over time, I've realized like this is someone who's hurting, who doesn't know how to handle their emotions. Doesn't necessarily excuse the lies, but um, I've had perspective on that. And hearing mm-hmm. you tell the story as a child, it really does like strengthen that for me. Like when people lie, it's usually not because they want to hurt other people. There's usually something within that they can't sure. deal with, and they're um, and to me, I'm like in relationships now. I'm like, if that does come up, I'm usually like, okay, well, what's going on? Like, what is? It doesn't mean you're lying for the sake of lying, but it means there's something you don't actually want to say because you're hurt or, or you're right. afraid of how I will react. So that's now my, my reaction is always like, 
all right, what's going on? What's, what are you concerned about really? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I think that's a healthy way of looking at it. Um, cause I, I do hate getting lied to, but weirdly I, I'm like choosing my words cause I'm not, I'm not saying like, please lie to me, mm-hmm. but I've gotten better at, uh, hearing lies. Yeah. Cause I usually realize it's not, I'm not, I'm not the villain. They're not the villain. No. There's and, and, and very often it's not like, it's rare that I've experienced lies that were designed to hurt me. Very often mm-hmm. it's the lies that are, are presented to like trick me into thinking everything's fine. Like it's yeah. a, it, it comes from a good place uh, at, at its heart because it's just, it's, it's the same impulse that I have of, I hope everyone around me is having a very <laughs> good time. Uh, and I, uh, I will bury my own anxieties in pursuit of making sure everyone around me is having a good time. Yeah. A person who lies, I think, is following that exact instinct that I have. Except yeah. they, they lie instead of bury things. They they like I'm sad, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend the world is different to make other people mm-hmm. not worry about me. But there's also the attention side too, because as a kid you, you got the attention you wanted. Sure did. And <laughs> it was a fucking king. But that's the thing too, because I don't think it's I always feel like tricked when someone if I give like sympathies to someone who doesn't quote unquote deserve it. Mm-hmm. But now I realize it's just because they need that attention but they don't know how to ask for it. Yeah. And so it's not actually necessarily a bad thing to act accidentally sympathize with someone. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like I I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I wrote like a, a reductor's headline once I was like, um, are you depressed or just doing it for the attention because you're depressed? And that to me captures how I yeah. used to feel. Like I used to be annoyed when people were like Kind of like how I was having that breakdown online. People posted stuff for attention because I'm like, Ugh, you just want attention. But actually, yes, because <laughs> they need attention. Like yeah. sometimes it's okay to ask for attention when you want a little bit I of think attention. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Well, thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah, I, I hope you feel see. a little bit better. Yeah. Is there I anything you want to add better. to the story? We have a quick game, but um, um, if, you, if there's anything you want to no, conclude No, I'm just with. checking my notes. Yeah. For I mean, the it listeners wasn't, at home, I. I uh, wasn't reading from a script, but I wrote this like a draft of what I was yeah. going to say uh, three times oh because gosh. I just really wanted to. I wanted to get all of my thoughts. Yeah. In in place, even if I'm not reading from a thing, I'm, I just want to like get the memory going. I think that's healthy. Yeah. And uh, and I I don't think you have anything to be afraid of. I think you shared. I think it was a good story, and I think that <laughs> nobody thinks any less of you. Um, but I hope you can let go of the guilt, though. Probably not. Probably <laughs> I'll just let it let it slowly kill me over oh, no. many, many years. Yeah. That doesn't sound healthy. <laughs> um, well, I have a quick game. Okay. You want to play a game? I do. Cool. I like to end with the game just to keep it light. Um, so I tried to tailor it around you. So I know you uh, are a very big fan of presidents because, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you guys want to get his book, it's called How to Fight Presidents. Yeah. I, I think it's on Audible. I just Googled. Is that Is you? It? Right? No? Okay. I thought maybe... That was a new thing. Um, but you can get an Audible also, just a regular old book as well. Um, so you're obviously an encyclopedia knowledge. Uh, you've got an encyclopedia knowledge of presidents. So I don't okay. want to actually ask about presidents because oh, there's no way. You just know too much about it. But uh, how much do you know about presidents of corporations? So Very I don't little. Know. Cool. Well, then you'll enjoy this game. So this is a lot of CEOs or presidents of corporations give tips to success, right? People Google mm-hmm. secrets of success. This is a secrets podcast. So this game, I'm going to read quote, and you just have to guess if it was a tip from a CEO or a quote from a bachelor or bachelorette contestant. Okay. Oh, boy. Pretty straightforward. Yep. I've never you'll seen... Uh, either of those shows. <laughs> um, well, that's okay. You can you can use your infer, inferment in 
<laughs> Whatever. You're the top of your intelligence. Okay. All right, here we go. Here's the first quote. Your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. Was this a CEO or a bachelor contestant? Bachelor contestant. Good guess, but this is actually <laughs> Jeff Bezos of Amazon, CEO oh. of Amazon. Um, so, yeah, you know, but it could really work for both. All right, here's the next one. I apologize for nothing. I'm sorry for being awesome. CEO or bachelor contestant? CEO? Fuck me. I can tell I got it wrong. <laughs> this sucks. This I hate is being Ryan, dumb. Ryan from Bachelorette season 11. Some of them are Bachelorette contestants. Um, but you know what? It could totally be a CEO. So, you know, honestly. I thought you were trying to trick me. Uh, here we go. Michael Jordan took naps. Abraham Lincoln took naps. Is this a CEO or Bachelor contestant? Bachelor contestant? Ding, ding, ding. You're correct. Yeah, this all right. Corinne yeah. Olympios from Bachelor season 21. Technically, she is a business owner, but she's more known as a, being a Bachelor okay. contestant. What is the context of her saying that? She, was, uh, she took a nap during the rose ceremony on like one of the first days, mm -hmm. and everyone was like, I cannot believe you just clearly are not serious about marrying this guy. And she was like, everyone takes naps. And then she was like, Abraham Lincoln took naps. Which is, is that true, Daniel? Uh, I bet Abraham Lincoln took a <laughs> lot of naps because he was, uh, he suffered from depression, oh. uh, and I, I bet that made him pretty sleepy. So, <laughs> probably true. There I don't go. know if Michael Jordan took naps. <laughs> like, like I, I would, I would genuinely <laughs> be surprised. But, uh, you know, that's probably good advice for a business owner anyways. Um, you sure. know, you gotta take the naps you need. All right, I got a couple more. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. That feels like CEO. Correct. Warren Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. Mm. Now you got two correct so far, so you can still win this game. There's two more questions. All right. Before you put your socks on in the morning, put your confidence on. Is this a CEO or a bachelor contestant? I mean, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks real bad. <laughs> CEO? <laughs> no. no. It's Jordan from Bachelorette Season 14 <laughs> and later Bachelor in Paradise. He was yelling at a girl. I think uh, at the end of that call, he says, Becca. So it's actually put your confidence <laughs> on Becca. Uh, all right, final question. You can If you get this, this is worth three points, so then you'll win. Okay. Move fast and break things. If you're not breaking things, you're not moving fast enough. That's, that's absolutely CEO, right? Yes. Okay. Do you know who it is? Um, I think it's a famous one. It's not can Elon Musk, is it? Pretty close. It's oh. Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, right. I did know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a famous quote from him. Um, but there you go. So you won the game. Thank okay. you so much. Congratulations. Absolutely. Where can people find you? Oh, on the internet. <laughs> go ahead and find, find you can find, I hate this. D-O-B underscore. Worst part of every e podcast is the list of social things. I understand it. I hate it. Um, don't find me on the internet. You watched <laughs> the show last week tonight with John Oliver on HBO on Sunday nights. Uh, I work there. I like it a lot. Everybody puts a lot of hard work mm -hmm. into every episode. Um, buy cool shoes at Elephant City. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I'll tag you as well in the description so uh, you don't have to say it out loud because it's clearly making you uncomfortable. Yeah, I hate it. You can follow this <laughs> podcast at Tell Me Anything Pod and you can follow me at Larissa T. Thank you guys so much for listening.